Our reading is from Matthew, chapter 27, and starting at verse 45, the death of Jesus. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. This is the word of the Lord. Almighty God, as we come to your word now, we ask that you would indeed open our eyes and hearts once more to learn for ourselves what your death means, but equally what your life means to us. In your name. Amen. Well, during this period of Easter, we've been looking at different parts of the Passion story. The reason being that we look back and we can spend some time looking at those events, but from our perspective, as people who have been through the cross, what does it mean to be people of the cross? To be followers of a God who has given everything for us. So we're not necessarily looking at the event, but what it means to us today. And we can do that from the point of view, we have done it from the point of view of Matthew. All of our readings over the last month have been from Matthew. So it's interesting to see what he puts in and what lies on the cutting room floor. But crucially, we're looking at these passages from the point of view of post-Easter people. And today we have reached the crux, the death of Jesus on the cross. Now this week I've been thinking quite a lot about legacy. What is it to leave something behind to those coming after us? I don't mean financially, 
I mean more about character, personality. What will you remember about them? Now I suspect uh, this is a very personal testimony this morning. I've had two funerals this week. I am preparing for two more funerals next week. And I have met with two friends, both with motor neuron disease, which only has one outcome. It's a terminal disease. And I've noticed that, particularly with them, when you sit with someone who knows that their end is on the horizon, life becomes more important. What they say and what they do is more important. How you act, what impression you're giving, what impact you're making on those lives that are left behind is high time. And as I sat with uh, one of my friends, his children were uh, in the kitchen, we were sitting outside, but of course being their father they were coming in and out, constantly, they're only young. And each time they did, he would stop and rephrase what he was saying. Because it was more important to him to give them a memory than for them to hear what he was about to say to me. What sort of role model would we be? What do we want people to learn from us? What do we want them to remember about our lives? I might have told you before, actually, about uh, a headstone in a village in Dorset. Uh, We went uh, there quite often, and we went for a walk, and we would pass this woman's grave, and on it was the inscription, A Prayer Answered. I'll do it the other way around, A Prayer Answered. (laughs) And we would then spend the next few minutes thinking, what does that actually mean? Are they pleased that she's gone? (laughs) (laughs) Or does it mean that she had uh, deep pain and deep suffering? Was she ill for a long time and therefore this is a release? Or does it mean that she was a follower of Almighty God and for her the prayer has been answered? She has come again in glory. I don't know. I think we always try to finish on that last one. But more often than not, we started at the first one. What all of this says to me is that what Jesus is doing and saying in the last few days of his life, and especially as he was crucified, is of vital importance, not only to them at the time, but to us now. What was it that Jesus wanted us to know? What's he trying to say to us? And Matthew is the same. He hasn't put down everything. If you read the Gospel accounts, they're all slightly different. They all include slightly different things. And Matthew is trying to give us an insight into the life and the purpose of Jesus. And he mentions key details which he thinks are vital for us. Now we could spend weeks on this passage, probably, but we're not going to. I'm just going to uh, flash over some of the key things to me. 
Because on Monday, Thursday, I was first thinking about this passage. It's become more raw to me over the weeks. But on Monday, Thursday, I sat in the cathedral on the Monday, Thursday service. And I looked up and beyond, as you look into the uh, cathedral, right at the top, right at the end, there is this massive curtain behind the altar. It is huge. And I looked at it again, and it is, I don't know, 60, 70 feet high. And what do we read in Matthew? That at the point of Jesus' death, the curtain is torn from top to bottom. Now Matthew and Mark say exactly the same thing. That it was torn from top to bottom. So what? It's probably old. A bit frayed. I was sitting in Monday Thursday service looking at the, I was concentrating some of the time, but I was looking at this curtain. And I thought if you stood at the bottom of it and started to tear, even if it was old and frail, you'd go a few feet up before you your arms couldn't get any longer. And it would stop. And the split would be a few feet high. But this curtain in the temple, of similar dimension to that in Guildford Cathedral, split from the top to the bottom, all the way down. And what's more, it was split from the top. This isn't mankind, humankind involved here. This is a power from above. Why? Because the curtain, as we know, separated the holy place from the holy of holies. So if you can imagine, all the way down here where I'm standing is a big curtain. And you can't come in this bit here. And only once a year would the high priest enter in through this curtain and worship God in the Holy of Holies. Only once a year. And he'd give sacrifice for his own sins and those of the people. But now the temple curtain is cut It's as though someone has pulled it apart. It's as though someone in prison has broken out of their windowless cell and opened up the door for all to see, for all to go in. And that's what we're seeing here. As we look back, do we realise that this once a once-only event was actually a once-for-everybody, all-time event. You see, we still have access to the Holy of Holies. We still have access to the heart of God. As Gentiles, non-Jews, we are admitted in to be amongst the royal people, the holy people, the royal priesthood. We are the people of God. That has not, will not, will never change All who hear the voice of God and sense God's calling can come in now, can come in and have that relationship. And then what do we see in this passage? That the tombs of some of the former prophets and holy people are opened up and they're seen on the street. There are four signs in this. Because God has power over creation, there is darkness at the third hour. There is an earthquake. God has power over all creation. 
The temple curtain is split. God had power over humankind. Nothing that you put in my way can stop me. And then he has power over life itself. Now, forgive me if I'm being silly here, but I probably would have noticed if it goes really dark. I would definitely have noticed if it had gone really dark and had an earthquake. If I was anywhere near the temple, I would definitely have noticed that it had gone dark, there was an earthquake and the temple curtain split. But as if that's not enough, people rise up out of their tombs and I see them walking around. Do you think this is going to be important? Do you think I should have noticed this? If you can't get their attention through any other means, rise a few, raise a few people from the dead, they'll stop that. Oh yes. So who is in control in this event? Who is killing whom? Is Christ defeated? Or is God defeating death itself? Is Christ the thorn in the flesh of all of those uh, in authority being challenged? Or is their faith being challenged and changed forever? And all of a sudden we sense the reality that God has power over all things. Just like a creation. There is power over creation, over the natural order. Earth to earth, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. Death is the end, comma, no more. No more is death the end. And I try in a funeral service to put that across. Obviously there is at the end a commendation and a committal. But what we're doing is handing that person over to the hands of God. Because death is no more. And these events, of course, do not go unnoticed. What does it say? Three of the Gospels actually mention a centurion. He must have had shivers going up and down his spine. This is definitely, for me, a wow moment. Surely, surely he was the Son of God. Here is a Roman. His only job was to keep people away from the cross in order to make sure that no one was going to get near, no one was going to help him, no one was going to alleviate the suffering, and no one was definitely going to get him down. His job was simply to ensure death. And as he watched, he saw the women sitting by. He saw love in those women. He saw the man on the cross, not despising those people that are put in there, but forgiving them. He watched the skies darken. He felt the change in temperature. He saw the creator of the world offering himself. And I guess the centurion felt shame and remorse. And just at that moment of awe, he could see the truth. We live as people of the cross. Now, I could ask for a show of hands, but I suspect quite a number here 
have a sign of Jesus on them at the moment, a sign of a cross, or a bracelet, or a brooch, or whatever it is. You know, we're happy to carry that sign with us. Are we touched by it, or is it only decorative? I had a funny moment at the beginning of the uh, first funeral I did in the week. Uh, because the family wanted to be the pallbearers, so they walked up to the coffin as it was coming out of the hearse. And very quickly, the lady in charge ran forward and said, don't touch the handles, they're decorative only. The next thing you know, your father's on your feet. (laughs) (laughs) That was more or less their reaction. It was a good start, actually. It was a good start. It finished with the Test Match special and one very famous quote which I won't repeat in life. <laughs> but is the cross that we hold, is the cross that we bear decorative only? Or has it changed our lives? Does it hold the weight of our life? Because as we look at the cross we change people. Do we see the depth of the love of God? Do we see the legacy that Christ has left behind? And then, of course, we we only flip on it on the end of that passage that we read, but we see the women who who saw where the body was laid. There's There's no doubt. They knew where the body was. But when they return, the body is gone. They haven't gone to the wrong place. They saw where it was laid. And they changed. In an instant, they're changed. They meet the angel, then they meet Jesus, they run and spread the news to the disciples as soon as they can. Then the disciples themselves are prepared to die for the sake of the man on the cross because they see the risen Lord Jesus Christ. The commitment and belief does not wane They are utterly dedicated to Christ. And it leads many of them to their own tortured death, some on the cross. And the church throughout the centuries has grown more in persecution than it has in times of conflict. We live as people of the cross. We've been told the truth by those who were there, and they've proven the truth to me anyway, by the life that they lived afterwards. The story and the events that we've looked at have not changed. But we are people who have gone through the cross. We've lived that experience. And that love and that offer from God is still the same. Earth to earth, dust to dust, ashes to ashes, death is no more. The wife, uh, the other friend actually with MND said that obviously uh, we sat, he can't speak any longer. But she was speaking for him. And she said, obviously, I don't want to see him go. But I don't want to see him suffer when there is the offer of the glory of Christ awaiting. She holds his current suffering with the promise of glory and asked what I could pray for and she said joy and peace. 
are humbled by the legacy of those two men that I went to visit. And I consider again what the Gospel writers wanted me to know, that Jesus Christ, the creator of the world, opened up a way for me to have relationship with God but by tearing the temple curse. By making this so important that he raised people from the dead. And by convincing people that death is no more. Almighty God, we do thank you for all that you have given to us. We pray that as a community here we may live as people of the cross. Knowing the destiny that you have brought us to. Knowing that as we enter through the cross we become different. And we commit ourselves to you and all that we believe. Faith that we have because it's given to us by you. So we thank you for all that you have done in your holy name. Amen.